This is The Jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XM OutQ. You know, that song is from the 90s, but it still fits today. Apparently Nothing by The Young Disciples, featuring Carlene Anderson on lead vocals. I'm Larry Flick, and you're listening to The Jolt on Sirius XM OutQ. Still ahead this morning, George Ezra will be stopping by, talk about his uh, year and a half traveling the world twice in support of his album Wanted on Voyage, and Laura Jane Grace the uh, very powerful rock and roll diva from the band Against Me. Speaking of divas, <laughs> Lisa Ling is in the room. You might be the first person to ever call me a diva, but I'll take it. Mm. Take it, girl. <laughs> take it. You're looking fierce. You're looking hot. How are you? I'm doing really well, Larry. How are you? Great I'm to see you. Good to, uh, good to see you. I'm great. I'm great. We were Lisa and I were, were having a little pulp postmortem <laughs> yeah. during the song. <laughs> Uh, which is it's, it's the thing on everyone's mind this morning. Yeah, it's uh, people haven't been able to stop uh, stop talking about him, and it, it, it has just been such a a colossal breath of fresh air in so many ways. So nice, right? Yeah. I, I woke up this morning and turned on the local news, and for the first time in a week, we were back on fire in East Harlem. <laughs> yeah. This person shot this person. This car, and I thought, oh. Yeah. Nothing good lasts forever. I know. And it's interesting because I, I, I've been watching from home in Los Angeles. I'm here in New York now. And everyone I've talked to here in the city, despite the the crazy traffic um, and, and how chaotic the city was, everyone said, you know what? It's okay because just having him here made people better for some reason. You know, people were just more good-natured. People were so patiently yeah. sick. Yeah. I, I, and I'm the least patient person on the planet. And yeah. even that, as I said to you That's before, a word that doesn't <laughs> usually characterize New Yorkers no, in I'm, any way. I know, I know. And, and as I said to you before, you know, being a New Yorker, you know, today is going to be a stressful day in town. The president's in town. He's going to be here for two days. If you don't know how to navigate the city when a dignitary who is uh, surrounded by high security. If you don't know what to do, you need to leave. Yeah. And and so. And I told Larry, that's why I left. That's why she left. <laughs> but th- but you have to know you have to know how to handle it. And sometimes you lose your patience. But there was just something so lovely. Yeah. About about the last week. It's yeah. really um, it's extraordinary that someone as humble as the Pope exists today. I feel as someone who is not religious at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel so lucky to be alive right now, you know, to to experience this goodwill that he is disseminating around the world. I mean, I never thought that I would feel such reverence for a religious person, but he really is, he's just really such an incredible person. He is indeed, and I, I was raised Catholic, but I haven't practiced for most of my life, but I do believe in, in, in God and, and higher powers. Um, and I was, uh, was uh, you know, basically recapping my private conversation with Lisa. <laughs> but I felt so welcomed this week. And and even though this 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 man is not going to say everything I need him to say, he has said enough. And his actions speak even louder. Right. When Mo Rocker took to the stage of Madison Square Garden to read from the scriptures, I was there. As a mm. gay man, I was there. And that's, you know what? I'm good. You know yeah, what? there are a lot of people who wish that he 
would be a little more vocal and a, a little more definitive um, about his position. I, I don't know that people really want that because mm-hmm. at, at a certain point, he he does have to adhere to the tenets of his of his of course you know belief system. But um, but as you suggest, you know that that certainly was a subtle sign having a, an openly gay man deliver mass. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. I'll take it, you know, and it's and something. It's it is something, and and I feel like if I spoke to him, and told him about my life, I believe he would listen, and that would be enough as well. He'd After listen, he, and he wouldn't judge you, right? And that's plenty because you know what? Right now, there are countless people listening to us, and I can guarantee you, some of them agree, and some of them sure will not. That's just the nature of life. Go on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. So well, and 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 religion is the most divisive, indeed, <laughs> divisive thing that you could discuss. Exactly, exactly. But if you go on Facebook, they divisive <laughs> about what color you're wearing. Exactly. So Lisa Ling is uh, is here to talk about the uh, second season of her CNN show, the hugely successful CNN show. This is life. It uh, begins its new season on Wednesday. Yes. Um, are you in any fashion? Let's, I want to talk a little bit first uh, before we get into the topics about the reception, because this show, when it premiered, for, you know, for for people who like a little inside baseball, really big numbers. This was a very <laughs> very successful show. Yeah, it, it wasn't just a show that people liked. This is a show that people watched. Um, I, I'm always, I'm always surprised, but so thrilled that people are interested in, in our show. The first season just launched on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, and I've just been bombarded with people saying that they are binge watching the show. Uh, and it's been on the Netflix homepage, um, quite, quite often. And, you know, I'm just, I'm thrilled because our show is not this sort of stereotypical, loud, um, you know, really invasive, sensational show uh, on TV. It's it's different. It's um, evocative. It's um, provocative. It's substantive. But it's also entertaining at the same time. And I'm just thrilled that people are responding to the storytelling. And it and it's an example to me that people are interested in storytelling and and kind of getting a sense of how other people live. See, I, I believe that people are, are hipping up to the fact that this is the new strain of reporting that might be the most honest. Um, and you know that I've long believed that what you do is the most pure of reporting because you just go out there and you look for the story and then you tell the story. And we don't get a whole lot of that in yeah. this new generation of media. Um, as you were As you were choosing... The topics, um, and we'll talk about some of those topics in a moment. Um, were there any where you, that you thought there are going to be too many roadblocks in telling the whole story, so maybe I'll back off? Or were those roadblocks making the stories all the more sexy? Yeah, you know, I the only time we, we don't move forward with a story is we just don't feel like there's enough there there. <laughs> Um, at the end of the day, you know, we have to fill 42 minutes and we have to, you know, it is TV at the end of the day, right? Yeah. So we have to put together something that we think people will watch. But what we've found is that 
um, you know, if if we're honest, if we allow people to tell their stories, um, if we try to remain objective and non-judgmental, very often people will respond to those stories if people are in fact telling you something that you may not have heard elsewhere or ha- had the opportunity to hear. And this season in particular, you know, we've been doing this kind of work for a long time. I mean, I've been on, on your show so many times um, talking about this CNN show, This Is Life, but also my previous show, Our America, on the OWN Network. But this season, we get access to worlds within our world um, in an unprecedented way. Mm. There are certain topics that we delve into this season where the people allowed us completely unprecedented access. There are a couple stories that um, seem on the surface very gentle, and I know they're not going to be. Um, the, 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 there, we have, uh, we have topics like the art of picking up women, <laughs> which I know is going to be just mercenary, um, <laughs> and incarcerated fathers attending a dad daughter dance behind bars, which I just know is going to be savage. Wow. Um, I, I strongly suggest you have a box of Kleenex with you. I because... can't wow. even imagine. Um, the, the, uh, I'll be most big because of my history in the clubs, I'll be most fascinated also by, the uh, the uh, electronic dance music the electronic show. dance music mm-hmm. show. Yeah. electronic Woodstock uh-huh. which I just <laughs> I just just this the sliver peak made me feel so ancient <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a disco kid house music guy I was at the very beginning of the rave culture and I no <laughs> well try being there. <laughs> Well, that being uh, there and, <laughs> and knowing that you could be the mother of fifty thousand attendees at this festival. That's what we were just saying this morning. That's exactly what we were saying well, this yeah, morning. Well, yeah, you mean when I said that Gwen Stefani was a middle-aged white woman, <laughs> yeah. and that maybe yeah. she should just make music, you know, that's cool, that's but cool. not not trying to be a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, you mean that? Yeah. Somebody, somebody's mom's here to pick him up. <laughs> but there's also, you know, but there's also access to the LA coroner's office. Warren Jeff's kids, um, which which as as your first of all, do you outline do you outline um, the season of topics and then say okay, uh, this is I, I feel like we've got the package and now we're just going to kind of start ticking them off the list one after the next. How do you do that? You know the process goes like this: we we will submit a pretty exhaustive list of topics to CNN and then CNN will then decide which eight we are to move forward on. Okay. Um, They kind of threw us for a little bit of a loop last season because after the shootout in Waco, Texas, you might remember in May there was a a big shootout in which eight bikers from one rival club and one from from another club were killed. Um, It was the deadliest biker brawl in recent history. Uh, CNN said to us, you know, see see if you might be able to penetrate that one percenter biker club, which is the one percent of clubs that the American Motor- Motorcycle Association has dubbed outlaws. And we thought, oh man, <laughs> these guys are incredibly secretive. They mm-hmm. almost never give media access. But we saw it as a challenge, and we knocked on a lot of doors, and eventually we got access to the club that the federal government has actually been targeting the hardest which is the Mongols Motorcycle Club based out of Los Angeles, but with chapters all over the world. And 
they let us in a, in a they let us in in a way that they've never let anyone before. So that was a pretty exciting experience. Um, but I think that one of the reasons why we're able to get such incredible access on so many occasions is because people are familiar with the work that I do, the shows that I've worked on, and they know that while the show may have a sensational sounding topic, you know, last season we did a, a show about sugar daddies and sugar babies. Um, when you actually watch the episode, they're very, very depth filled and substantive. And you may go into an episode thinking one thing, but inevitably after watching it, I I defy you to um, really kind of think hard about what you've seen because there's a good chance you might think differently. Well, you usually leave um, any of your stories. Actually, I should, I should say you always leave your stories feeling like the subject's gotten a fair shake. Yeah, that's, and, that's important if, to us. And if I walk away still thinking what I thought when I went in, well, that's, you know, how I feel is on me based on all the pieces put in front of me. Um, how often, um, I mean, I'm sure it's a common question, but I can't resist. How often are you, um, is your opinion changed? All I would, the time. I would imagine looking, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, incarcerated fathers and their daughters dancing. I'm thinking, okay, well, you're going to have a very specific way you're going to feel about that. Yeah. And then you're going to walk away. I already, again, I already know I'm preparing myself to feel differently after. Yeah. I'm preparing I always myself. do. And that's why I love what I'm able to do so much because I'm as guilty as anyone for having preconceived, you know, thoughts about people. Mm -hmm. It's just by our nature as human beings, we judge. Yeah. Right. And so when, when I'm given the opportunity to actually get immersed in different communities, actually get a chance to look people in the eyes and talk to them and get to know their stories. And in so many cases, people divulge such personal information to me. I'm always changed. And, and I do think that this work has made me a better person. It's made me a more open-minded person. Um, it's made me a smarter person because I've always believed that the more we know about each other, the better we are as human beings. Mm. So Lisa Ling joining us here on The Jolt. I'm Larry Flick. It's uh, 20 past the hour. This is Life returns to CNN on Wednesday. Um, okay. A big general question, but I can't resist. <laughs> Give it to me. What's the hardest question you've ever asked? The hardest question I've ever asked. Um, there have been a couple mm -hmm. pretty hard ones. Um, one of the most difficult episodes I've ever done was about um, men living in this colony, sex offenders, um, people who've um, molested children living in this colony in, in Orlando, Texas. One of my favorite um, in of the, your in episodes. The woods. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never I'll never forget the, the the image, the visual images of some of the men in the woods. Yeah. Um they're living out there because they are unable to find a place to live that is within the, the limits of where they're allowed to live. Like they can't live where lots of children congregate. So they've been pushed out into the woods and um I asked one of the guys I was interviewing um, about his crime, and it wasn't so much that the question was difficult. Um, hearing the answer was one of the most difficult experiences I've ever had. And, and, and now, especially as a mother, when I think back on the, the answer that he gave me, I'm just utterly horrified and, and, and repulsed. But at the same time, for me, 
I still believe that no matter what you've done, what you've been accused of, um, you are a human being. You were born of a mother who hopefully loved you. You deserve a chance to at least be heard. And I also think that, you know, when you hear from someone like that, um, we become better prepared um, to deal with those kinds of people. And so while I was unprepared for his answer and I was so shocked and dismayed by his answer, I learned something from that. And I feel like I have a better sense of how I can protect my child as a result. Mm. Um, who have you ever gotten so furious with that you almost walked out? I mean, that was certainly... <laughs> I'm sure that was one of them, but... but, yeah. but, but... Um, you know, a lot of these sort of uh, topics that pertain to sex and marginalizing women, um, male egoism... Those kinds of topics can kind of get me, and we we produce oh, so an we should, episode. We should look forward to the uh, the, uh, the art of asking game. women out. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's an episode called the the seduction game, and I don't know if you recall. In two thousand five, there was a hugely popular international bestseller called The Game. Well, there was yeah. a VH one show based on it, exactly, written by Neil Strauss, and it's this this pickup artist community is a global movement. It's a multi million dollar industry, and you know, in a nutshell, this movement um, kind of ho- holds guys' hands and teaches them how to become like better seduction experts um, through boot camps, online seminars, uh, through um, through various books. See, this is going to be interesting because I've I've heard I know Neil Strauss ever so slightly. We've met a bunch of times, and he was on this show talking about um, one of the things, which is to 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 kind of be mean. Yeah. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, there are all these terms. I mean, that's... It's, like, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm hating you, but it's not hating. It's, it's like a word like that, though. Right. There are all like, you're these not that hot. bizarre terms. Exactly, exactly. Or to, to set your sights on one woman and not give her any attention in the bar so that she becomes intrigued by you right. and tries to, um, tries to solicit you. Well... What our episode is about is kind of how this movement in many ways has evolved and it's become kind of more of a self-help movement for men who have felt rejected all of their lives. And it's actually an incredibly heartwarming episode. You won't believe. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm just like looking you at her believe, like, what? I know, this is going to be good. You it's... won't believe how you will feel when you will watch this episode. Um, we feature... Um, a lovely, lovely man named Mitch, who at 47 years old um, has had very few experiences with women. And one of the key tenets of the, the, the boot camp I attended was to try and teach these men how not to get affected by rejection. I mean, when you think about it, we all, we've all felt rejection in one way or another. But some of us have learned how to deal with it better. You know, some people who've dealt with it their whole lives just completely crack under the pressure of that rejection. And that almost handicaps them from being able to, um, you know, pursue women or feel confident. And so what what we experienced at this boot camp was actually not what it was advertised as. It was advertised as, you know, come to this boot camp and learn how to take advantage of the loosest sluts in Vegas and so on. And when I first read that, I thought, okay, I hate these people. (laughs) (laughs) But when I actually got to the boot camp and I met a lot of these guys, 
they kind of need that. They kind of need to be built back up again. Because when you think about it, you know, with with so many women um, in the workplace and also, you know, as the head of, you know, in many cases, women are the head of households. Um, there's been kind of a, a, a um, like, emasculization of men in our culture. And some men just don't, don't know how to deal with that. So interesting. So, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting here and I'm watching, you know, it's, it's, it's always an interesting experience to kind of like be in a conversation with someone you're, you admire and who you're fascinated by and kind of also hover around and watch it. And as I'm watching you, I'm thinking, I wonder how much she fantasized about when she was getting her, her belly button pierced on the view. <laughs> because I watched you all those years on the view. Yeah. And you were on a very specific path. Mm-hmm. And you jumped off. And people thought you were nuts. Mm-hmm. And It's so funny you mentioned that because there was a flight attendant on my flight coming here. And she goes, you know, you've done such incredible work. I love watching your shows, but the thing I'll never forget about you is when you got your belly button pierced <laughs> on the view. And it's like, like, oh like your wasn't your mom holding your hand, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm just thinking, that young woman knew, didn't she, that this was all because you know, in retrospect, it was the most brilliant move because we all want to know what happened to that girl who was crazy enough to jump <laughs> off of a then very successful show. And, and sumo wrestling suit. Yeah. <laughs> and start all over in what seemed to be, if you go back and follow Lisa Ling's journey, what you what you really set out to do in the first place. Yeah. I mean, The View definitely was the tangent in my career. And I had a great time and it was a lot of fun. But I'd never felt um, that I had to kind of fill, like fit a mold more than I did at The View. I mean, mm. I was hired as the young co-host on the show, you know, to provide the 20-something perspective. And it's funny because I would go into the morning meetings and I would say, well, we should talk about the drug wars in South America. We should talk about <laughs> globalization in India and China. And they would laugh at me and go, are you, are you serious? You know, why, don't you get view, your bl- right? why don't you get your belly button pierced on the show? <laughs> well, you had followed the woman who got henna put on her hand because Ray of Light came out. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I mean, they were kind of looking to fill a very space. So, yeah. But in that moment, as you're laying on that table, <laughs> are you thinking, someday I'm getting back on the track I originally planned for myself? Well, sure. I mean, this is a, my intention has always been to try and do more substantive work and go back into the field. I mean, at the time, I really missed um, being overseas and reporting on things that were happening in the world because what a lot of people don't, don't know is before I even went to The View, I, I worked as a journalist for a show that was seen in schools, and I was covering the Civil War in Afghanistan, and and I was, in fact, covering drug wars in, in Latin America. I was covering the refugee crisis in, in Kosovo. Right. So people didn't really know that that was my, my background before that, before The View. But I don't regret my time at The View. In fact, I think that it it showed people that I'm a real person well, see, and that me, while I'm a serious person and I take my job very seriously, I also like to have fun and I'm can. I, I I'm as much a pop culture junkie as anyone else. But The, the View time. was, to me, the smartest thing you could have ever done because once we saw you, get your belly button pierced, <laughs> <laughs> you were, and you were in our houses – we knew you in a way that we would that we will never know someone like Christiane Amanpour. And I have mad respect for her, but 
we live in an era where we need to we need that kind of connection with 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 the people who are giving us our news there's a line and i don't think i want my news reporter getting spanked on stage by madonna <laughs> but i do think that it was masterful because you never embarrassed yourself well it really wasn't it certainly wasn't intentional you know i mean i was just trying to do I was trying to fit that mold of the young co-host, mm -hmm. you know, fill that seat properly. Um, but I also, you know, Meredith, Meredith Vieira is a perfect example. You know, she was silly on The View, mm -hmm. but she allowed people kind of uh, an inside look at her life and who she really is. And as a result, I think people came to really like her not as a respected voice in journalism, but just like as a cool woman yeah. who I want to hang out with and I want to to introduce me to people and things. And and I like to think that um, that people have stayed with me this long because I'm not the story in my shows. I'm just taking you along with me. You know, I'm taking you along with me as I experience what it's like to be with the Mon Mongols Motorcycle Club or to, you know, go to Short Creek and, and, and talk to people who've left the polygamous community or you know, these, these kinds of stories sure. because they kind of know me a little bit more and consider me more of a friend than, than this kind of venerable journalist. Well, we trust you as well because you didn't squander that attention. You right. used it very wisely. And as, you know, as a member of the LGBT population um, whom you've you know covered a lot, we're very grateful to you because you told our stories, some of our stories, in a very responsible and um, dignified way. Yeah, and, I don't and, think that I would have been able to tell, you know, I've covered stories about people who are transgender, you know, kids who are transgender, and um, some of our shows in the past have helped abolish the, the biggest ex-gay organization in the world, mm -hmm. Exodus, and I couldn't be prouder. You know, when I was in seventh grade, I went to school with a boy named Jason Hunt who... Um, I'm sure didn't know he was gay at the time. I'm sure he probably had feelings, but um, he was beat up every day, and I remember it so vividly. And for him, um, I'm proud of the work that I've done, you know, to promote LGBT rights because I, um, you know, and I think and, and that, that whole experience watching this boy um, get bullied and and hurt on such a regular basis, it's propelled me to, to want to to do stories about people who are marginalized or misunderstood or judged. Um, because once we know more about people, I think the more informed we are and the better we become. Well, This Is Life with Lisa Ling returns to CNN Wednesday. Do not miss it. And uh, it's good to see you again. Great to see you guys. Thank around. you. There's more to come on The Dalt. <laughs>